Welcome, and thanks for joining us today on the Abundance Podcast. Well, today we've got a special treat for you. My beautiful wife, Shiloh Marshall, will be making her first appearance on the Abundance Podcast. Shiloh has a love for Jesus that's going to be (laughs) very evident when you begin to hear her speak. And it's one of the things that brought us together. Actually, the thing that brought us together was Jesus. (laughs) He brought her to me, and, and things worked out, but... She definitely has a heart for Jesus, and God has gifted her with an ability to communicate. And I'm excited to see how God uses her, not just in her daily life, but also through this podcast. So without any further ado, here is Shiloh Marshall with her message on the Lamb of God. Hello, hello, Pastor Jason, my sweet hubby, my sweet, sweet husband. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity to speak on the podcast today. I'm super grateful. I'm super honored that you see some sort of gift on my life that you would allow me this time to put something into what you've worked so hard on, what you've allowed God to work so much through. So I'm just super grateful and I'm super honored. So who is Shiloh Marshall for those of you that don't know me? Well, I'm obviously Pastor Jason's wife and a mama to our three beautiful children. (laughs) Lila is six, Adeline is four, and Oakley, our son, is three. I tell you what, our life is full. Our life is fun. We are so blessed. We are so grateful. We are just so honored to be living this life that God has gifted us and given us. It's just so beautiful. I've been really working to say our life is full instead of our life is busy or our life is chaotic because it does seem like those adjectives, busy and chaotic, but our life is full. It's the best way to describe how our life is on a daily basis. It's just full of beauty and we're so grateful. God, we're so grateful for this life. We're so grateful for this opportunity to speak into people's lives like this on this type of platform. It's really cool. I'm also the assistant director of the child care that our church um, has opened during the week, Monday through Friday. So I get to, you know, get to know the families. I get to know the kiddos and love on them and oversee the business side of it. And it's an honor to work for our church. We work for um, obviously an awesome God, but we work alongside of awesome people. So it's super cool that I get to work with my husband on a daily basis. God's been doing some awesome things and moving in our family in awesome ways. So, yeah, but I will say, and I say it all the time, the most important thing that someone needs to know about me is that I'm a passionate lover and follower of Jesus Christ. The God that found me at my worst and chose to see me better than my best, he deserves my life entirely. And I'm excited that I get to talk about Jesus today and some things that I'm learning Um, Because iron sharpens iron, right? That's what we should be doing as believers. This podcast is about encouraging and building up one another in our faith walk so that we can become more like Christ on a daily basis. Not because we have to, but because we get to. It's a privilege. So in the last several months, I have been studying out the different names and titles of both God from the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. And I tell you what, it's been a beautiful journey to see how those titles of God and Jesus interact together and go together. It's just really interesting, the cultural differences that were taking place, you know, in the Old Testament and New Testament, and even in today's day and age, how culturally different everything is around us now. But it's just been really cool. It's this ongoing study that I'm dedicated to, Um, In my mind, if I say I love and serve God, the creator of the universe, I want to know who he is, what he calls himself, how other people have identified him, and really dig into what the word says about those different titles and names. So yeah, before I get going, um, I will tell you that the title of this message today is simply called The Lamb of God, which is one of the titles of Jesus used in the New Testament. So it's called the Lamb of God, but I am going to pray before I get any further. Father God, I thank you for this time. 
I know I've said it a bunch, but I'm just super grateful and honored, Lord. Thank you for using someone like me to be able to speak into people's lives. You aren't making me work for opportunities. You're just handing them to me because you love me and you want others to know how much you love them, Lord. Anything that I speak today that isn't accurate or doesn't resonate truth, I command that it falls to the ground, falls on deaf ears. But anything that I do speak that is life and full of abundant life, help us to remember those words, Father God. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Hit us at the core of what we need to know. I bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we go. Let's dig right in. I'm going to start in my favorite book of the Bible, the Gospel of John. (laughs) It is literally falling out of my Bible. I was at a speaking event a couple of weeks ago and I'm on stage and I'm flipping through my Bible and like a chunk of my Bible falls on the floor. I was like, that's embarrassing. But you know, your Bible's well read when it's literally falling apart. It's awesome. It's a privilege. So we are going to be in John chapter one, verse 29. This is the first time that Jesus, the person of Jesus, was called the Lamb of God. So a little context, this is um, taking place in a town called Bethany. We don't actually know what the real town of Bethany is in today's day and age. Scholars have an idea of where it is, but they don't know the exact location that this was happening. Um, But John the Baptist, who is Jesus's cousin, he's baptizing a bunch of people, a bunch of people, a bunch of people. And the religious folks (laughs) um, of the Jewish faith did not like this because they didn't think John had the credentials to be doing this. So they come to him, they're questioning him. And this is where this part of the story takes place. So John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there we go. The first time that Jesus is specifically called the Lamb of God. And then in John chapter 1 verse 35, so jumping down, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Two things I want to point out here that I have found really interesting. Number one is that John the Baptist had disciples. It wasn't just Jesus that had disciples. John the Baptist had a very specific call on his life from the Father to prepare the hearts of many for the Messiah that was about to come, that had not come yet. It had been a really long time that that promise of the Messiah had been out there. And I often wonder if, to the Israelite people, if this thought of a Messiah almost had become a fairy tale. You know, their life, everything they did in their lifestyle was surrounded by focusing on the Father and the coming Messiah, their Savior though they didn't exactly know realistically what that was going to look like for them. I just wonder if it became almost a fairy tale, like I said. I look at our culture and I think of our view of Jesus for many of us, and I really question how many of us think that he's actually going to come back, that the Savior of the world is going to come back to get his church. I think it's going to happen very, very, very soon. And I know that's been said for many, many years, but scripture says that we won't know the exact time, but we will be able to know the season in which he's coming. And I believe that time is is quickly coming to us. So I just find it interesting that John the Baptist had disciples, even though it was his specific calling on his life that he was living out. God told him, prepare the hearts of the people around you for the person that's coming after you. But John was probably thinking, I'm assuming, well, if this is my call on my life, and if I don't get it done, somebody needs to get it done, though. So it seems like he was raising these people up, these men up. And that's how we should be living our lives. Though God may call very directly you to do something with your life, you are not called to do ministry alone. 
because if for some reason you cannot get the job done, someone else should be able to pick up your baton and carry it forward. They may not do it exactly how God designed you to do it, because you are you and they are them, (laughs) but it doesn't mean that if you fail, that the ministry or the work completely itself has failed. There is still work that will need to be done. So I just think it's really honorable that John the Baptist had disciples. He was obviously pouring into these men, um, as well as focusing on the very direct call that God had on his life. And then the second thing that I find cool is that as soon as John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God, the two disciples followed after Jesus. Now, it's not at this point that they, you know, abandon John and go with Jesus forever and follow him in his ministry. That doesn't happen yet. It's assumed that these two disciples, well, we know for one, one of them is Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, and it's assumed by some scholars that the other one is John, um, the who wrote the book of John, the disciple of Jesus, who would become, you know, later on the disciple of Jesus. But they, they assume that or think that because John doesn't specifically say his name in his writings and this disciple is unnamed. So I agree. I think that it's John, um, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple of Jesus. But anyway, so these two disciples, whoever they are, we know one is Andrew. <clears throat> they immediately follow after Jesus right after they hear, look, the Lamb of God. I believe that they connected John's passion and pursuit of the call that God had on his life to talk about and prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. I think they connected that fact with the fact of, or the understanding of, I should say, the meaning of lamb in their culture and how that was connected to sacrifice. So lamb, sacrifice mixed with the hot pursuit of the coming Messiah that John the Baptist had. And I think they knew this man, whoever this is, is worth following. And, you know, I don't know about you, but just like Jesus was here, I want to be followed not just because of what I do, because Jesus hadn't done any miracles yet. He hadn't done anything to prove his Messiahship, to prove who he was, to prove his divine nature. He hadn't done any of that yet. He was followed not because of what he did, but because of who he was, the Lamb of God. Your character at the end of the day will speak louder than what you do in this life. In our culture, that is hard to remember because people often look at your accolades and your actions instead of your character and the fruit in your life. So remember that. Character speaks louder than what you do what you consistently do. Now, we are going to look at the Passover story in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus is in the beginning of the Bible, so it's in the Old Testament. Now, in this message, I have a lot of scripture, and it's nice because I'm not on a stage speaking um, where people are forced to listen to me. (laughs) You can turn this off if it's, you know, too much scripture reading for you, but I don't think you can have enough of that, right? Not You can't have too much uh, of hearing scripture. So, so Exodus 12, verses 1 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Without defect, so perfect specimens. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the doorframes of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. 
Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now I'm going to pause, and before I jump to verses 21 through 29, I'm going to give you some context. This story is taking place when the Israelites are still held captive as slaves under Pharaoh in Egypt. So the Israelites are still in bondage, and this is what's going on here. So verses 21 through 29 now. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. What he's talking about is the angel of death that was going around to strike down the firstborn of every Egyptian family because Pharaoh had continually held Israelites captive when God had sent plagues on him. This is the final fight between God and Pharaoh where God says, boy, oh boy, you better let my people go. Or death will occur, and Pharaoh didn't, so death is occurring on his people. Verse 24, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. It was the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood being put over the doorway as a covering of that house that saved the Israelites that night. Fast forward, the sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect, spotless lamb of God, that would save the entire world, leading us back into right relationship with God. The Passover story there is a foreshadowing of the sacrifice and the covering and shedding of blood that Jesus would do for the world when he died on the cross. Jesus was and is the perfect Lamb of God. And the point of why I want to talk about this today is to really ask us, do we understand that concept? Do we take time to think about the truth of the matter? that there was death for your life so that you could live. I've been pondering it a lot lately, and I'm learning a lot about it. And I'm passionate to share about it more often. It's something that needs to be talked about, especially in the world that we're living in. People need to know that someone loves them so much that they would give up their life for them. We don't live in a culture where people reciprocate that kind of love towards one another. But Jesus did. Now we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah is still in the Old Testament. He was a prophet. Isaiah chapter 52 verses 13 through 15. And it's interesting, the little small subtitle in my Bible for this portion is The Suffering and Glory of the Servant. Who do you think this is going to be talking about? the suffering and glory of the servant. Here we go, verse 13 and ending at 15. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, 
His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Now I'm going to be reading all of chapter 53 in Isaiah. I know it's a lot, but just take a listen. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Has anyone else out there been through that? I have, and I don't want to do it again. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led, here we go, like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent... So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. I don't know about you, but I think that sounds like a whole lot of pain, mixed with a whole lot of sacrifice, because Jesus Christ knew what he was dying for. He understood that suffering and glory went together in his life because he was called to be the savior of the world. He came from heaven, came to earth as a baby, died as a man, but had the same heartbeat as the father. He knew his purpose and that's why he went to the cross for you and me and died for us as the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God. He had no sin, but he took on our sin so that it no longer belongs to us anymore. That is a current statement. It's a beautiful thing. But as Christians, we need to talk about it more often, what Jesus has done for us. We should not take it lightly that someone had to die to set us free, and someone who hadn't done anything wrong, to say the least, died to set us free. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Verses 26 through 35. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Does that name sound familiar? Isaiah the prophet? <laughs> the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. 
How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip is proving my point. The good news of Jesus, the gospel that we talk about, is the fact that Jesus became sin for us so that we would no longer be identified with sin. That is the good news. As Christians, we talk about sharing the good news, living a life that reflects the good news. But do you talk about what Jesus has done for you? Both your testimony, as well as the factual story that Jesus took on sin so that you would no longer have to carry it on your back. Philip shared with the Ethiopian eunuch the good news, that Jesus died for him. He became the Lamb of God, the perfect once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. It's beautiful. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Is that a challenge for anyone else out there? For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply, from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We have been redeemed, as this word has said, by the blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. As you can see here, I'm giving you scriptural evidence and scripture to use and base your belief off of where you can go back and reflect on the fact that Jesus really did become the human version of a Lamb of God. He followed the protocol. He followed his mechanism of the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that wage so that you didn't have to die, but rather so that you could have life. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. Now we're going to be looking at what would still be our future, what we will see happen. So, little backstory on the book of Revelation. So, John, the disciple of Jesus, was sentenced to the island of Patmos as his punishment for being a follower of Christ. And this um, island was essentially a you know, cell of confinement, except it was an island. You were, you were by yourself. You weren't around anybody. And it's so cool how Holy Spirit showed up to John 
in these last days of his. He was the one privileged enough to write the book of Revelation. So Holy Spirit has been coming to him and speaking to him and showing him visions and dreams and things that I want more actively in my life. <laughs> so this is where we're reading. John, um, sorry, Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. The accuser of our brothers, Satan himself, has been hurled down, is what this says. And the brothers, the brotherhood, the people, God's people, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That is how you and I live in victory, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony of our lives. Like I said, we go to Victory Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and we talk a lot about living in victory because it's in our name, victory. And we talk about the fact that we are overcomers because of the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. The fact of the matter is what Jesus did for you on the cross happened whether you believe it did or not. The next step to living in a life where you can be an overcomer, where you can live in freedom, where you can live in victory, is where you accept that sin payment that Jesus died for you to have. That's how you live, covered by the blood of the Lamb. Again, Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, the once and for all sin payment for mankind. He became the blood of the Lamb to cover your life with his perfect blood. And then the word of your testimony talking about Jesus paying that sin penalty for you, how he set you free in your life, what he's doing in your life, how Satan has been crushed and stomped on in your life because of the goodness of God. No matter how little you think your story is, you are an overcomer because of the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. And what you may think is small, someone else may be needing that hope that they can get through that thing. It is not your testimony to keep to yourself. Did you know that your life story can and will impact people, allowing them to live in freedom? Your testimony could be the breaking point of someone living between freedom and bondage. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe your story is embarrassing. Is it worth holding on to even though someone else may be set free from the same thing? It's just something to ponder and think about, and I encourage you to talk to the Father about it. Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name, written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. It says they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. 
This is what Holy Spirit is speaking to John. He's basically prophesying that this is going to happen. Holy Spirit's talking to him about what's to come. Many Christians often think that the life, the fruit, the reward, and the beauty that God has for us really only happens in heaven. (laughs) But that's not it at all. God's plan has so much to do (laughs) with how we live here. Because how we live here affects how we live in heaven. You'll still have everything perfect where we end up. But the reward of what we do here is reflected in heaven. You won't lack anything. But there is reward in heaven for what you do here on earth. And reward comes from literally, as it states here, following the Lamb. Following who Jesus was the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect servant. I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but I am saying you were made perfect through Christ. The blood of the lamb covers your life to cancel out your imperfection, which in turn makes you perfect in the spiritual sense. There is a renewal process of our soulish realm taking hold of the fact that we have the mind of Christ living inside of us and now we get to connect that with our natural self, our natural way of thinking. That's the renewal process, the inward-outward change. Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Then jumping down to verses 12 through 14. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers." There will be a time where there is war made against the Lamb. Whether that's now or that's going to happen, what seems like more, (laughs) in the future. Because I feel like it's happening now. I don't fully understand, uh, well, who am I kidding? None of us fully understand the Word of God. I don't contextually understand Revelation a whole lot yet, so I don't want to pretend that I do. Um... But it says they will make war against the Lamb. So others that are not in us, who are the called, chosen, and faithful followers. But the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. I'm just showing you another example of Jesus being referred to as the Lamb of God. Our minds think of Lamb being meek. But my oh my... (laughs) War is being waged against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There's nothing that can overcome this Lamb. Though he was meek, his character does not stop there. So all of these scriptures that I read you today, these are things, these are points that God has to say about Jesus as the Lamb of God. But my question to you is, what does it mean personally for you that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Now, I'm not God, nor am I the Lamb of God. That's an obvious, but that's important to state here. I am not those things. I don't claim to be those things. But I do know that he does reside in me. I'm not God, but God lives in me. I am his vessel to use. I can and I should personify him as well as talk about his very real sacrifice for humankind, like I stated earlier. So here are some examples 
that are pretty darn applicable of how we can live and conduct our lives to reflect Jesus as the Lamb of God specifically. Laying down and sacrificing our fleshly, sinful ways of living and for a purpose that's greater than ourselves. That's one way. (laughs) That others would come into relationship with Father God because of what you did with your life, like Jesus did. Now, I'm not saying to be sin conscious when I say lay down and sacrifice your fleshly sinful way of living. I'm not saying to be sin conscious. Don't confuse what I'm saying. But I am saying don't be sin stupid. I'm not in church, so I can say that. (laughs) Make a plan for uprooting sin in your life. Whether that be rage, frustration, speeding, Spending money too frivolously, whatever it may be. If you don't know the areas of your life where sin still abounds or sin may be hiding, ask the Father about it. He sure as heck will reveal it to you because he doesn't want you living in those things that don't bring you life. Because again, the wages of sin is death. The second way, you live to serve, not to be served. Yikes, I know. It's making some of us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Notice I didn't mention, though, peasants and priesthoods. I'm not saying that God calls you to live a lowly life as a peasant. That's not the life that Jesus reflected necessarily. Looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. Context here. Jesus has met with... The 12 disciples, two of them are wanting to be his right-hand men, if you will. And this is the reaction that the other 10 (laughs) are having. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way you live your life should reflect servanthood, not because you're called to be lowly, but because Jesus himself lived that way. He lived as a sacrifice, both on the cross, but in his daily life leading up to that time. So those are two applicable first step kind of ways to living a life that's more directly focused. And, and you know, there are many topics that we can really start to focus on and dig into, but this one is for today, okay? These are just two ways that we can start to conduct and live our lives in a specific way that reflects Jesus. And this way specifically is looking at him as the Lamb of God. This is just one of the titles he had and has to this day, but it's a very important one. It's it's what leads us into true freedom, not being accounted for our sin any longer. Over the last several months, I've had something going over and over and over again in my mind, and I've called it now the lamb mentality. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Now jumping to verses 41 through 44. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus didn't want to die, but he was willing to do it anyways, and he did. Just because you and I don't want to do something doesn't mean that God hasn't called us, and possibly only us, 
to do that thing. We are going to have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable if we're going to live like the lamb. I say that saying all the time, church, we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because we live in a culture of complacency, a culture of comfort. I'm not called to that and neither are you. We are to live as those who have been raised from death to life. And that's going to mean that we're going to be uncomfortable sometimes. And that's okay. That's what produces growth within us. That's what produces growth within others. It's sometimes the, the matter of someone else stepping out of their comfort zone to unlocking victory in someone else's life. That could be you. And another point to add on the lamb mentality thought is John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. I know it's a lot of scripture, but you guys, I tell you, I, I tell this story a lot that at the beginning of this year, I was um, told that I was going to have a couple of speaking opportunities and I'm super grateful. I'm super honored. And the first thought in my natural mind was, God, use me to be profound. When people leave my presence, after they've heard my words, I want them to be changed for the better forever. And Holy Spirit immediately and gently spoke to my heart and said, Shy, I love your excitement. I love your passion. I love your motive. But just remember that I need you to talk about what I did for mankind. I need you to talk about my word because that's the most profound thing that could ever come out of your mouth. Your good words, your feel-good messages, your Instagram-worthy quotes that you can clip and make look cool, (laughs) those things will fade. But my word never will. And I replay that, him speaking that to me in my mind often because we often don't want to talk about scripture because we're afraid it's going to scare people off. But you know what? It's the love of God that brings people to repentance, and it's the truth of God that sets people free. The truth of God is found here in the Word of God. That's what it is. So here we go. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Sacrifice is never going to be easy. And you know what? It wasn't designed to be. And it's not going to be convenient. So go ahead and just get that thought out of your mind right now that it's ever going to be convenient. Stop analyzing how blessing others could fit into your already full schedule and simply ask God what he would have you do. There is power and productivity Don't get me wrong, but your schedule should never be used as an excuse for disobedience. I'm going to say that again. Your schedule should never be used as an excuse for disobedience. If God asks you to do something, then he'll either miraculously make room in your schedule to do so, or he'll ask you to let something else go. I encourage you, give him full reign over your life and how you live it. He's a gentleman. He'll work with you. He has patience for you. But in order to live the life that God calls us to live, we do have to be obedient to how he calls us to live, right? 
So again, the intent of my message today was to scripturally show us examples of Jesus being referred to as the Lamb of God, to show us it's not just this thing that we say, but scripture says that that's who he is and who he was. And then I did explain some ways that we can really make the truth of Jesus as the Lamb of God something that impacts our daily life, some ways that we can reflect that for our own life. And again, those things were choosing to no longer live in sin, desiring to get sin out, to get sin uprooted out of our lives, to allow God to do a work in those broken parts. Because Jesus didn't live there, I don't want to live there. I don't. It's not that I don't want to live in sin because I fear that God's angry at me or because I'm doing something wrong. It's because I have a revelation now of who God has called me to be, the kind of freedom that he's given me. And I don't want to give Satan any reign or dominion in my life that does not belong to him. So sit, ask Holy Spirit, reveal to me, Lord, the things in my life that don't allow me to pursue you more. What are the things that are holding me back? What are the things that don't reflect you? And by golly, he will show you because he loves you, not because he's mad at you. Don't be sin conscious, but don't be sin stupid. Look at those things in your life and work with the Holy Spirit on how to uproot them. Find someone you trust to encourage you to continue to uproot those things in your life. And once they're gone, walk in the freedom that belongs to you because of Christ. And the other way that we talked about of how to reflect Jesus as the Lamb of God is living as a servant. You were called to serve, not to be served. Again, I'm not telling you that you're called to live a lowly life, but you are called to serve others. And it's not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be comfortable. But like the word says, with God, all things are possible. If you think you can't serve someone in this way, but you feel called to do it, ask God how to do it. And you got to be willing to listen. He might not give you the answer you want. But if you want to be obedient, you got to be obedient. (laughs) It's as simple as that. And then the lamb mentality. Again, it's just something that I literally think about every day. If you're my friend and you know me well, you've heard me talk about it. The fact that I might not always want to do something that God has called me to do doesn't give me the right to not do it. Just because Jesus didn't want to go to the cross in those several, you know, moments of that story that's portrayed here in the Garden of Gethsemane doesn't mean he didn't do it. He did. Just because you don't want to doesn't mean you shouldn't. The reward that will come for the sacrifices that we make in this life will eternally outweigh any loss that we will experience here on earth. I know it's hard for our minds to comprehend that and that's okay, but I'm telling you that the reward in heaven and the reward that we will experience in this life too will be greater than anything that is lost by the sacrifices that we make if you do it out of obedience and out of a pure heart. Father God, I thank you so much for this time. I speak clarity in my words, in my message that you've given me. Holy Spirit, help us to understand (laughs) the meaning of what I was trying to say. Help it speak to our hearts, Father God, after this podcast is done. Bring things to remembrance to us, God. Things that we need to look at deeper in our own lives. Thank you for loving us, for spending time on and with us. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on the Abundance Podcast.